Welcome to Grizzly Interactive Podcast. My name is Akanksha Das and I'm a content marketer at Grizzly. We already have such interactions via webinars, but this is our first podcast, so please be kind. And uh, today we're going to touch base on a really pressing subject that's been giving everyone sleepless nights, the European Union General Data Protection Regulation. And we call it GDPR, the elephant in the room. And we're here to address it. With me is Smriti Dhawan, who's a fantastic content marketer herself, and uh, she knows a thing or two about GDPR as well. Hi, Smriti. Glad you could join in today. Hi, Akanksha. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Most uh, of our recent conversations have revolved around GDPR and how uh, it's going to affect marketers like us. And it's only fair that we talk about it and share our insights around it and just uh, break it down for our listeners. Gladly. So the uh, European Union GDPR is definitely the biggest change in data privacy regulation in 20 years and is approaching for enforcement on May 25th, 2018. It applies to all the companies that collect and process data that belongs to European Union citizens. Although we wish it were all that simple, it's nothing short of Pandora's box. <laughs> well, let's try and uncomplicate this catastrophized figurative version of rocket science as much as we can. And uh, to begin with, let's talk about the key attributes of GDPR and the kinds of impact uh, they have on businesses. And Smriti, please feel free to add your inputs at any point in time. You got it. Thank you. So uh, the biggest and the most significant attribute concerning GDPR is consent. Uh, under GDPR, consent needs to be simple and explicit and in a clear and plain language so that uh, an individual can give a specific and informed consent. And uh, the level of ease of withdrawing consent should be just the same as giving it. Absolutely. And to be GDPR compliant, uh, companies need to assess if they can rely on the individual's consent in case the consent is adequately informed and given freely. Alternatively, companies can exhibit that the purpose of processing is acceptable, legally acceptable that is. Mm -hmm. Consent can be your best friend or your worst enemy. You really can amplify your business by strengthening your trust amongst individuals if you consent properly. Consent means that you're giving one an option and a power over their data and how it's used. Absolutely, because that way you're as transparent as possible and uh, your consent request should be segregated from uh, other terms and conditions and uh, keep records of uh, what the individual has consented to, uh, which includes the data and source of the consent. And about documenting what you discussed with them or information that you shared with them around consent uh, is also a good idea, I think. And uh, documenting the name of your business or any third party organization that may be depending on uh, an individual's consent is just as important. I also feel a business should avoid making consent a sine qua non or a prerequisite of service. As you said, Akanksha, uh, they just need to be explicit and specific because, well, easy does it. It would help businesses in the long run if the individual also has an option to give consent separately for the different types of processing, wherever it's necessary. Right, and consent calls for a positive opt-in, uh, bringing it to the notice of the individuals uh, as to how 
uh, they can withdraw consent is also a part of the checklist that I think you should keep in mind and explain it to them, explain it to them well. And Sridhi, uh, what's your take on ongoing consent? Oh, I was just about to point that out. <laughs> read your mind in time. You sure did. So as an organization, uh, your liability doesn't end at receiving the first consent. Mm -hmm. You ought to have systems in place to record and manage ongoing consent as well. Keep it under review and if anything changes, refresh it. Consent should be periodically evaluated and not just done away with as a one-off compliance checkbox. Uh, absolutely, and uh, in case your current uh, consent metrics are poorly documented and if they don't meet the GDPR standards, uh, you need to get a brand new GDPR compliant consent and uh, establish a different lawful basis of uh, processing which is fair or just discontinue the processing altogether. Moving on, uh, let's talk about the second attribute and a major one at that, penalties. At the risk of putting it blatantly, it all boils down to money. As businesses, we always want to work relentlessly at saving any cost that we possibly can. And let's get real, we wouldn't want any of our earnings go to finance. GDPR imposes rigid fines on data controllers and processors for non-compliance. Could you take us to the different levels of penalties under GDPR, please? Oh, gladly. And so if an organization infringes on multiple provisions of GDPR, it will be fined as per the gravest infringement rather than being separately penalized for each provision. There are two primary levels of penalties under GDPR, the lower level and the upper level. So the lower level fine is up to 10 million euros or 2% of the worldwide annual revenue of uh, uh, the prior financial year, whichever is higher that is. Uh, this would be imposed if a firm's records are not in order or if they don't alert uh, the supervisory authority and the data subject about a breach or if they don't conduct impact assessment. And uh, the upper level fine is up to 20 million euros or 4% of uh, the worldwide annual revenue of the prior financial year again, uh, whichever is higher. And this is a particular category of fine that can be imposed for uh, grave violations like not having adequate customer consent to control data or process data or even breaching the core of privacy by design concepts. And before we move on to another attribute, uh, let's quickly throw some light on the criteria that would determine uh, the amount of fine on a non-compliant organization. Uh, Smriti, a uh, penny for your thoughts on it? Of course. Uh, first up is the nature of infringement. That is the duration of the infringement, number of people affected, and the damage that they suffered due to the violation and the purpose of processing. Second of all, it's the intention of the non-compliance, whether the violation was intentional or negligent. This is a tricky one because obviously no one would easily or voluntarily admit to the infringement being intentional. <laughs> well, really, you're about as subtle as a gun, aren't you? <laughs> I just call it like I see it. <laughs> Which is why you're as good as you are at what you do. And well, I asked for a penny for your thoughts and here I got two pennies worth. <laughs> Moving on to the next criterion which is mitigation. 
Uh, this refers to the actions that are taken to alleviate uh, the damage to the individuals, uh, the data subjects, that is. Uh, another one of the criteria is preventive measures. Uh, that's how much the organization prepared to uh, prevent non-compliance with respect to technical and organizational aspects. So uh, let's not forget that the history of the organization plays a crucial role too. By that, I mean while imposing a fine, it would be taken into consideration if there are any past infringements. These may be interpreted to include violations under the Data Protection Directive and not just the GDPR and also past administrative corrective actions under GDPR, from warnings to bans on processing and fines. Uh, which is somewhat correlated to the next criterion, which is uh, cooperation, as to how cooperative uh, the organization has been with the supervisory authority to remedy uh, the violation. Another one is the data type, as to what kind of data the infringement is going to impact. The next two criteria are notification and certification. Under the notification criterion, it would be taken into account if the infringement was proactively reported to the supervisory authority by the organization itself, or was it through a third party. And by certification, we mean whether the firm had qualified under approved certifications or adhered to approved codes of conduct. Having said that, there could be other infuriating contributing factors that may include a financial impact from the infringement on the organization as a whole. Well, now that we've done away with discussing the scariest attribute in GDPR, let's talk about the final major change under GDPR, increased territorial scope, which is also referred to as extraterritorial applicability. Akanksha, can you venture? Definitely. Uh, so this increased territorial scope will apply to the processing of personal data by controllers and processors in the European Union. Uh, regardless of whether the processing occurs in the European Union or outside. Uh, the non-European Union businesses that process the data of the European Union citizens will need to appoint a representative in the EU. European Union privacy rules apply to data controllers and processors outside the European Union too. Businesses cannot avoid the GDPR obligations uh, just because they're outside the jurisdiction of the European Union due to a widened international reach. Uh, let's break it down, shall we Smriti? Absolutely. For example, if the controller is based in a European Union member state, then it would obviously be subject to GDPR but it will be only be subject to the scrutiny of one regulator, which in most cases will be the UK Information Commissioner. And let's say the controller is based outside the European Union and offers products or services to European Union residents or uh, monitors their behavior, it will be subject to the scrutiny of every single regulator or uh, supervisory authority. Right on, and we've got to understand that the whole point of having a widened international reach is to protect the European Union residents whose data is used elsewhere. And adding on to what you said about monitoring the behavior, Smriti, I think it's trickier because uh, GDPR detailing refers to only one very distinct form of monitoring, which is 
internet tracking and profiling. So the run-of-the-mill practice of building a picture of an internet user via the use of cookies, uh, primarily to target that user with personalized or tailored advertising will undeniably be caught. Vicky is right, Akansha, because over the next few months, the pressing question in this regard would be the intended scope of monitoring the behavior beyond internet tracking, and to be more precise, how detailed, specific, or intricate that monitoring will be. That will trigger the application of the law. So the debate is wide open there. Good point, Smriti, and that debate we'll save for the next time. Uh, with that said, I hope none amongst us is oblivious to the concept of the European Union GDPR because, well, plausible deniability in this case just cannot save us from GDPR. And if you need assistance building and executing your GDPR compliance plan, you could reach us at www.grazidi.com or info at grazidi.com. And Smriti, Thank you again for joining in today. Thank you for having me, Akanksha. <laughs> and to all our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in today. And please let us know your questions via comments. For now, this is Akanksha along with Smithy signing off. Be sure to stay tuned for our next podcast on another interesting insight about GDPR. Until then, ciao.